Let's get our belt on. And get on the case. I was framed. I'm Jared Hall from Entertainment Weekly, and here's what to watch on Monday, May 10th. We're counting down today's top three must-see picks from TV and movies. But first, your entertainment headlines. Jason Statham and Guy Ritchie's latest project, Wrath of Man, topped the weekend box office, earning an estimated $8 million. In second, with $3 million, was Demon Slayer the movie Mugen Train, followed by Mortal Kombat with $2.4 million, Godzilla vs. Kong at $2 million, and Raya and the Last Dragon just behind it in fifth place with $1.9 million. Fans of the Regency-era drama Sanditon rejoiced last week at news that PBS had uncanceled it and renewed the series for two more seasons. But now, with that comes the revelation that one of its stars will not be returning. In a statement on social media, Theo James, who played Sidney Parker, said, quote, Although I relished playing Sidney, for me, I've always maintained that his journey concluded as I wanted it to. The broken fairy tale-like ending between Charlotte and Sidney is different, unique, and so interesting to me, and I wish the cast and crew of Sanditon every success with future series. For more on those stories, plus other news, reviews, interviews, and more, head over to EW.com. All right, time to fire up today's picks, starting with number three, 911 Lone Star. Tonight's episode is appropriately titled The Big Heat, as it sees Rob Lowe's Owen becoming the prime suspect in the serial arson case he was investigating last week. First, his co-workers don't believe the arsonist is real. Now they think it's him? Mm, this guy can't get a break. Elsewhere this week, Tommy gets a big surprise while TK and Carlos find themselves in a fiery situation of their own. We're guessing it might be related to the serial arsonist, but you'll have to tune in to find out for sure. That all begins tonight at 9 on Fox. Trivia. It's trivia time. 911 Lone Star's Rob Lowe voiced which iconic Disney character in a spin-off TV series? Was it Aladdin, Simba, or Hercules? We'll have the answer for you a little later. Oscar-winning Going Clear director Alex Gibney is turning his lens on the opioid epidemic for his latest project and our number two pick, The Crime of the Century. The two-part documentary explores the origins, extent, and fallout of the crisis, showing how drug companies fueled the epidemic to the tune of billions of dollars and thousands of lives. The CDC estimates that half a million people died from opioid overdoses in the last 20 years, and the crime of the century posits that Big Pharma was largely responsible. Here's a preview. When we talk about drugs like oxycodone, you're talking about drugs that are essentially heroin pills. Opioid makers started to promote their opioids for common chronic pain conditions. Purdue didn't have any evidence that the drug was safe, so the company obtained the help of a medical officer at FDA. This is the first time I've ever seen this. This isn't just unethical. I think this could be illegal. Hundreds and hundreds of sales reps go out and meet with doctors and say, the FDA approved this. And that is just the beginning. This doc is essential viewing for anyone trying to understand how we got here. 
even if it can't get to everything, even in its four-hour runtime. Part 1 of The Crime of the Century airs tonight at 9 p.m. on HBO, with Part 2 airing tomorrow. The reality TV landscape is a crowded one, especially when it comes to competition shows. And one of those in the last few years that's really turned everything on its head is Netflix's The Circle. And joining me now to break it all down is Sydney Buxbaum. Hey, Sydney, how's it going? Circle, start message. Hey, Jared. (laughs) Smiley face emoji. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Send message. Hashtag no problem. (laughs) Hashtag happy to have you. Um, Well, this is, you know, traditionally in the show, we are asking people what you're watching. And this is something that uh, I know you just finished watching season two, like so many people have. But a lot of people have not seen this show. Um, And since you are you love competition shows, especially if people have not checked out your coverage of the challenge, they absolutely should. So I feel like you're a really good source to talk about the circle for for people who don't know this show basically took the catfishing concept and applied it to a reality competition where people are in apartments by themselves. They're only communicating with each other via a social media app that was created just for the show. People can go on as themselves or they can be catfish and the gameplay goes from there. So, Sydney, what do you love so much about this reality competition series? Yeah, it's so funny because when I first heard the premise for the show that it's people literally just using the social media app and interacting with each other and it's a popularity contest and whoever is most liked by the end wins, like I thought I was going to hate it. And so I went into the first season like ready to hate watch the hell out of this and (laughs) I ended up like so in love with this show. I think it always comes down to casting, of course, like the people that they cast for season one were just so genuine and sweet and like loved each other and like were really in it to make real friendships. And of course you had catfish who were, you know, found out and booted along the way. But yes. the the mm-hmm. end result was like these four people who were really friends and like their friendship has endured since their season has aired. Yeah. And so I came into season two like fully expecting once again that like they weren't going to be able to recapture the magic of season one, and I thought I was going to be hate-watching it. And, right. oh my God, like season two came out of the gate swinging. <laughs> These people that they cast came in with strategies to like really game the system in their favor. The catfishing that was going on was like a lot more like smart and clever Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. like there was some beef happening between players early on and I was hooked from the start. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you in that. I thought, okay, I'll watch season two, but I worried that the gimmick was already going to be like worn out on me. And it was not at all because of those reasons you just said the strategy and the gameplay in season two, like they really came to play and to win. And the catfish were very smart this season because, uh, I mean, in the case of someone like uh, Delisa, who was uh, catfishing people uh, as her husband, she came with notes from him. So she had a notebook full of like, oh, if people talk about sports, do I have stuff in here about sports and that kind of stuff, which I thought uh, Delisa was going to get figured out at one point in case people have not watched. I don't want to spoil or say too much. It just they took it to a whole new level. Absolutely. And I think it also is because a lot of the catfish who do well this season, and again, not going to spoil who does well and who it doesn't, but 
the catfish who do do well, they came in as characters that actually were like real and meant something to them. Like you pointed out Trevor, Delisa, who catfished as Trevor and came in with her notes. And like she was catfishing as her husband, but she was doing it pretending like he was a single father to their child. So like everything that she was saying (laughs) about their kid was like really coming from her heart. And Mm -hmm. like, even though she was being, untrue about who she was she still was being herself in that way and just armed with you know some extra sports facts along the way chloe is one who uh some people if you if anyone watched too hot to handle on netflix she was on that show she was brought on here and correct me if i'm wrong i think she said pretty early on that she didn't really know how to play the game so she just kind of went with it She's the one who just kind of went with the flow. Yeah, it was so interesting to watch her this season because early on you think, oh, she's probably going to be booted because she's, you know, she's hot. She's already a kind of quasi Netflix celebrity from Too Hot to Handle. Mm -hmm. Are people going to think she's catfishing or if they think that she's real, are they just going to boot her immediately? But she was just like so nice and kind and like honestly not really smart enough to figure out the game that like I think that's why she ended up making a lot of great allies this season. Lastly, let's talk about the fact that quote unquote Lance Bass was on this show. (laughs) Um, But more so than that, that some of these contestants didn't even know what NSYNC was. Oh my God. Ah. I felt so old when Chloe was like, what's N-S-Y-N-C? And I was like, oh Ugh. no. <laughs> Uh, but um, but but I do think um, Lisa, who is Lance Bass's uh, assistant, um, she played fairly well, but I thought she was also kind of quiet. I thought she would have been a lot more like out there and trying to make, you know, be more chatty. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed with her as well. I thought she came in with a really good strategy of catfishing as her mm-hmm. boss, Lance Bass. And like she had all of the information at her disposal to like make him believable. And like she actually got some people to believe that she was Lance. But like I don't think she is good at the social aspect of the game. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I, I was kind of disappointed with that as well because that could have been such a fun twist to shake up the game and it didn't really pan out the way that I thought it was going to. Mm-hmm. Yep, agree. Regardless, the season was so good. Uh, I personally recommend watching both seasons. It's one of those shows that once you start, you will find yourself still up at three in the morning <laughs> to get through episodes because you just, they, they, they build in cliffhangers very well. So you just kind of keep going. Well, there are two seasons of the U.S. version of The Circle available on Netflix. There are also versions of this from other countries, British version and Brazil, uh, all worth checking out as well on Netflix. Sydney, thanks so much. Of course. Thanks for having me. Hashtag bye bye. (laughs) (laughs) Stay tuned. Our number one pick is coming up. What to Watch will be right back. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, 
their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Welcome back to EW's What to Watch. This week in entertainment history, Mickey Mouse made his first ever on-screen appearance on May 15th, 1928 at a test screening for the silent cartoon, Plain Crazy. Walt Disney co-directed the cartoon with his friend and business partner, Ub Iwerks, who animated it almost entirely himself. The short did not impress potential distributors and would ultimately not be released until the next year, with sound added after Mickey's official debut, Steamboat Willie, had been released. And now let's go live to our number one pick. Well, not really, but number one is The Voice, which is going live tonight as the top 17 face-off. We already know 16 of those people, but we still need to find out who will complete that roster. Tonight's show will reveal who won last week's four-way knockout between Emma Caroline, Devin Blake-Jones, Carolina Real, and Savannah Woods. All 17 artists will perform with hopes of landing a spot in the top nine. And there are going to be some tough choices for the coaches and America, no matter which artists go home. But we think Rachel Mack has a good shot at going all the way. We're doing a little rewind and sharing a bit of her performance from the knockouts in case you missed it. Excuse me, think I've mistaken you for somebody else. She's so good. Chills. Of course, Gianna Zoe did move Mega Mentor Snoop Dogg to tears, so don't count her out either. Like we said, there are going to be some tough choices ahead. The Voices live shows kick off tonight at 8 on NBC. And lastly today, the answer to our trivia question, Rob Lowe voiced which iconic Disney character in a spin-off TV series, Aladdin, Simba, or Hercules? No worries, or should we say Hakuna Matata, if you didn't get this one, Lowe voiced Simba on the Disney Junior series, The Lion Guard, from 2015 to 2019. Fun fact, Lowe's one-time West Wing co-star Moira Kelly voiced Nala in the original film. That is our show for today. We'll have more news and must-see picks for you tomorrow, so be sure to follow or subscribe to What to Watch so you don't miss our daily recommendations, more of which can be found at EW.com. I am Senior TV Editor Jared Hall. You can find us on Twitter at EW and at Jared Hall. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. What to Watch is written by Tyler Aquilina, edited and produced by Joshua Heller, produced and hosted by Jared Hall, and executive produced by Shana Naomi Krokmal and Carly Usden.